evening, brothers and sisters. I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I welcome you on this Lord's Day Sabbath evening. Uh, let's go before the Lord in prayer and ask him to bless our time together. Our gracious God and Father, we come to you now in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the strength and power of your Spirit. And be with us now, Lord, as we consider uh, this most precious doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. Lord, I pray that you would help me, uh, lead me, guide me, direct me tonight, Lord, by your grace. Uh, Lord, I decrease that you may increase. Be glorified in Christ's name, I pray. We pray. Amen. <clears throat> well, brothers and sisters, the last time that we were together, as we said before, we only scratched the surface on the doctrine of sola scriptura. In our study, we learned that the word of God is the only certain rule of faith and obedience. The word of God is our final authority. God's word determines what is true, and the church teaches what God has said. The church does not determine what is true or authoritative. God's word does. We learn that this view is the view of the Roman Catholic Church. That is, she believes that she has been given the authority to determine what is and what is not the word of God. She will use sources such as tradition or papal infallibility as extra sources of authority. Not only does Rome believe that she has authority to determine what is scripture and what is not scripture, but Rome also believes that she has the authority to interpret what scripture means and what scripture does not mean. Ultimately, Rome is her own final authority. Uh, there are many dangers to these kinds of dogmas uh, concerning the word of God as not being the final rule of faith and obedience. Uh, most chiefly is that these uh, sources, these outside sources, are given unsolicited authority to determine what God has said or hasn't said concerning justification. As Pastor Isaiah said a moment ago, that justification is the, the crown jewel of our distinction between uh, Protestants and Roman Catholics. And I was saying to him a few moments ago before I began, because I know that Pastor Isaiah has done uh, quite a bit of study on justification, I said, I can't do this. <laughs> I've taught it seven years ago. He came out to me in the foyer and said, kind of gave me a pep talk, smacked me in the face a few times, threw some water on my face. You got this kid uh, kind of a thing. Uh, so Lord willing, we'll be able to get through this together. But this is a gospel matter. This is a gospel issue. Uh, this morning, with God's help, we will, or this evening, with God's help, we shall consider the doctrine of justification and give a lot of comparisons between what Rome believes concerning justification. And I would ask beforehand that you would... Uh, be gracious and patient with me because we'll be reading a number of quotes and I pray that I'll be able to make some commentary in, um, among those within those quotes. Uh, but there will be a number of quotes this evening. We'll try to get through them uh, as quickly as possible together. As I said in the first study concerning Sola Scriptura, this study on justification is not an exhaustive study. Uh, we will only be touching the tip of the iceberg on this doctrine of justification. So let us begin with some important facts concerning the uh, important facts and a definition of justification. Number one, justification is not sanctification. Those are uh, two distinct 
things in the work of salvation. Justification is not sanctification. Justification is an act of God. It does not describe the way God inwardly renews and changes a person. It is rather a, this is important, legal declaration. It's a legal declaration. It's, it's a verdict of not guilty. It's a legal declaration in which God freely pardons, and, and another important word is freely, freely pardons sinners by grace through faith and accepts and accounts the sinner as righteous in his sight. Uh, there is a legal declaration. It is one of not guilty or innocent. And God accepts the sinner as no longer being a sinner, but righteous in his sight. The sinner is counted righteous because of the righteousness of Christ. The righteousness of Christ has been accredited or counted to the former sinner. And this justification occurs at the moment of conversion. At the moment of conversion, the sinner is justified, declared innocent, not guilty. Uh, the basis for this legal verdict of justified, not guilty, is solely, solely based on the perfect obedience, both the pos- or passive and active obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, perfect obedience and full satisfaction for sin are the ground upon which God declares the sinner to be righteous. We are not justified, brothers and sisters, by our own works. Well, we've known that. We've heard that over and over again. We're not justified by works. We know that, don't we? We are justified on the basis of a work, though, the work of Christ. We are justified on the basis of works, but not our works, the works of the Lord Jesus Christ on our behalf. Uh, The righteousness of Christ is imputed to the sinner. We'll get into these words of imputed and fused in a few moments, but the righteousness of Christ is imputed or accounted, credited. These are all uh, the same kind of words. They can be used interchangeably. Uh, Credited, accounted, imputed to the sinner. Sinners are justified through faith alone in Christ uh, when they confess their sins, repent, and place their faith in Christ alone. Uh, We are not justified by our works again. Faith is the only instrument of justification. Faith adds nothing to what Christ has done for us in our justification. Even your faith is not an addition to what Christ has done in his perfect and completed work. Christ's work is complete. Uh, One, in order to be saved, place their faith in the finished work of Christ, not in your faith. Saving faith, then, must demonstrate itself to be genuine or the genuine article by producing good works. You don't have genuine faith if you don't have good works. Now, someone may say, well, then, am I working? Here's where justification gets sticky. Am I working then for my justification? No, you're not working for justification, but you do demonstrate a genuine faith by producing or having good works. It is possible to profess saving faith, but not to possess saving faith. 
What distinguishes true faith from a mere claim of faith is the presence of good works produced by and coming forth from the Holy Spirit. That's important, I think, to note once again. What distinguishes true faith from a mere claim of faith is the presence of good works. Now, at this point, I think Pastor Isaiah and I have been accused of being legalistic. You don't need good works. Well, the scriptures actually command that you do need good works. But we are not saying in any way, shape, or form that your good works are the way by which you are justified, not in the least. You are justified by the works of Christ, declared innocent by the works of Christ, saved and saved alone by the works of Christ. But evidence that you have been saved by Christ is good works produced by the Holy Spirit in your life. Contradiction? Not in the least. The Holy Spirit produces these things by way of those who have been saved by faith. We are in no way justified by our good works. And yet, no one may consider himself justified. No one may consider himself justified unless he sees in his life, or more importantly, he and the church recognize evidence of justifying faith, that is, good works. Now, what do we do when we are affirming someone uh, in membership here? We say, as far as I can tell, your confession and your works are walking hand in hand. Uh, we don't say, I hear a confession, but I don't see good works. If we heard a confession, but no good works, we would have to deny your confession. Confession and good works, they walk hand in hand. Justification and sanctification are graces of the gospel, and they always accompany one another. When we see good works, they are a product of God the Holy Spirit working sanctification in your life. He's making you what you were not. He's changing you into someone you were not. This is the, the justification and the sanctification walking hand in hand together. They are different. Justification addresses the guilt of our sin. Sanctification addresses the dominion and corruption of sin in our lives, our bodies. Justification is God's declaring the sinner righteous. Sanctification is God's renewing and transforming the whole person, mind, will, affections, behaviors. Justification is a complete and finished act. Justification means that uh, every believer is completely and finally freed from condemnation and the justice of God. Sanctification is an ongoing, progressive work in our lives. You have one that is complete, finished, and you have another that is ongoing, progressive. Although we are rescued from, the, from sin's bondage, we are not immediately made perfect until the final day. And that is where we see glorification. We are justified. We are being sanctified. We will one day be glorified by the grace of God. Christ has won both our justification and our sanctification. The reformers emphasize this biblical term, justification. They preach that justification was by faith alone, or sola fide. Rome was forced after the Reformation to respond to this constant proclamation of the reformers, sola fide, sola fide. When they finally met at a council called the Council of Trent, it was Rome's response to the Reformation in 15. 45 to 1563. Listen to this. Out of this council came 16 chapters and 33 canons. 
condemning various teachings, including those teachings presented by the, Refor- by the Reformers. The Council of Trent is considered to be, by Rome, infallible. That is, everything that you read in this document of the Council of Trent is seen to be as from God himself by Rome. Council of Trent, listen to this long quote. Uh, please uh, be patient here. Since there is being disseminated at this time, they're talking about the Reformation in uh, sola fide, not without loss of many souls and grievous detriment to the unity of the church. They're saying this Reformation, it's destroying the unity of the church. A certain erroneous doctrine concerning justification. This doctrine of justification is destroying the church, the uh, Rome is saying. The holy ecumenical and general council of Trent, they say, to expound to all the faithful of Christ the true and solitary doctrine of justification, strictly forbidding that anyone henceforth presume to believe, preach, or teach otherwise than is defined and declared in the present decree. They're saying there is great division going on in the Roman Catholic Church. It is based upon this doctrine, as Pastor Isaiah was saying. This is the reason for the divide. Again, we talked about this a week ago. It's You're not in Rome because you don't like going to confession. We confess every Lord's Day, don't we? Yeah, you're not in Rome because you don't like the candles. You're, you're not in Rome because those statues that are along the side of the church scare you. You're not in Rome because of the doctrine of justification. You're not in Rome because of the doctrine of sola scriptura. And as we'll get to next time, you're not in Rome because Rome has a, an antichrist sitting at its head. It's a snake whose head will eventually be squashed by Christ. Rome says that there is a doctrine that has arisen. It's dividing the church. And anyone who teaches or preaches these kinds of things, uh, beware. Because what we are going to say, they're going to say, in this doctrine or this document is what the church, what God believes about how we are justified. The council continues by asserting that though Christ died for all, yet all do not receive the benefit of his death. Listen to this. But only those to whom the merit of his passing is communicated, which in effect is kind of true. What is effective through though, listen to this. He said, they say only through the merit of only, but those only to whom the merit of his passion is communicated. How is it communicated? Which is effective through the labor of, gener- of regeneration. <clears throat> Do you know what a labor is? In the Old Testament, the priest, before he would get, enter into the, um, the tent of meeting, there was a labor wash. He would wash his hands. So Rome is saying that in order for someone to receive the benefits, the merits of the passion of Christ, which is what? It's his death. It's his life, death, and resurrection. In order for someone to receive the merits of the passion of Christ, they must be washed in a labor. You must be baptized if you were to receive the benefits of Christ's passion. This is baptismal regeneration. It is to say that in order for you to be saved, to receive the merits, benefits of Christ, you must be baptized. We believe in baptism, don't we? One of the interesting things, and Pastor Isaiah would agree with this, one of the interesting thing about Rome, interesting things about Rome is they will say certain things that need to be done. You need to be baptized. If you are a member of this church, you will be baptized. But here's the difference. 
We don't believe that baptism will save you. Rome believes baptism to be a, a grace that makes you savable. We'll get to that more. The document then asserts that God gives predisposing grace to the individual that is in no way merited by anyone, yet continues on to say that they may be disposed through his quickening and helping grace to convert themselves, convert themselves to their own justification by freely assenting to and cooperating with that grace. You are baptized. Now God gives you grace. In order for you to be saved, you must cooperate with that grace so that you can be finally justified. Justified meaning declared innocent. Rome believes that repentance is a necessary action. Don't let anybody ever tell you that Rome doesn't believe in repentance. Of course they believe in repentance. But only after all this preparation is finally, is one finally justified. You must repent. But there are things that accompany that way, uh, that path to repentance. And baptism is one of them. Baptism will eventually lead you to repentance, which will ultimately, hopefully, cause you to be saved. But let's hope that you don't lose your salvation. Because in the same way that you have earned and walked down a path to gain justification, you could also lose that which you have earned. Now, this disposition or preparation is followed by justification itself, they say, which is not only a remission of sins, but also the sanctification and renewal of the inward man through voluntary reception of the grace and gifts whereby an unjust man becomes just and from being an enemy becomes a friend of God. You now become a friend of God after these baptism. The instrumental cause is the, how are you a friend of God? Through the sacrament of baptism. The council says, which is the sacrament of faith, without which no man was ever justified. Finally, if you are not baptized, you're not finally justified. If you have not been baptized, you're not all the way guiltless. You, their guilt remains if you have not been baptized. Wherefore, when receiving true and Christian justice, they are commanded immediately on being born again, to persevere it pure and spotless. As the first robe given them through Christ in the place of that which Adam by his disobedience lusts for himself and for us, so that we may bear it before the tribunal of our Lord Jesus Christ and may have eternal life. Rome's concept of being justified is not permanent. In Rome's eyes, your justification can be undone by committing a mortal sin, an act that destroys the sanctifying grace and causes supernatural death of the soul. A venial sin would be a lesser sin. It's not going to destroy your soul. Rome believes in a type of conditional justification. Conditional justification. If you're taking notes, that's an important word. A conditional justification. Uh, one that is not permanent, but that depends on, here's why, Conditional because it depends on continual faithfulness of the person. Rome's idea of justification is conditional. Why? Because it depends upon continual justification of the person. Now, as Protestants, one of the interesting things is we also believe you must continue to walk in the faith. You must continue to walk in obedience to God. 
But yet we don't believe that your walk is the basis for your justification. Christ and his finished and completed work is the basis for your justification. And your obedience is evidence, again, that you are walking hand in hand with God in fellowship and communion. Rome believes that your justification is not completed by the work of Christ then. It's not completed by the work of Christ. Now, they're not going to say as much. We're making inferences about some of the things that they've said. It will be completely dependent upon you. They're not going to say that. They're going to say, no, it depends upon God, but God is doing certain things in you so that you can do it so that you can finally, which ultimately makes us say, well, then you're the one who's adding to uh, this justifying grace. You need to do something. Chapter 10 of the Council of Trent, they assert that one can... Pastor Isaiah said, if you're going to touch on anything, touch on this. And he smacked me in the face one more time. Get out there. If you're, Rome says, they assert one can increase in justification. Writing notes, write that down. You can increase your justification. Or your justification can be decreased. Through the observance of the commandments of God and of the church, faith cooperating with works, increase in that justice. That's, that's the word. Increase in that justice received through the faith or through the grace of Christ. Listen to this. Are further justified. Now, can you be further justified? When you're justified, declared innocent. Can you become more innocent than the innocence that was first declared upon you? You're innocent. Praise God. Next day you come in, you're even more innocent today. Why? Because you did a good job yesterday. You come in the next day. Guess what? What? More innocent. No way. You're either justified or you're not justified. There is no further justifying. Now, this suggests that one can achieve their own justification. How are you further justified if it were not, if it is not based upon your works that are increasing some kind of favor in the sight of God to make you even more free? Uh, Ludwig Ott uh, says in the fundamentals of Catholic dogma concerning achieving justification, the reason for uncertainty of the state of grace lies in this. There's an uncertainty, he says. If you've received grace, you also are in a state of uncertainty, he says. That without a special revelation, nobody can with certainty of faith know whether or not he has fulfilled all the conditions which are necessary for achieving justification. I I probably, in my last kind of breath, said that out. Let me slow that down and say it better so you can understand what I just said. The reason for uncertainty of the state of grace lies in this. That without a special revelation, that means God somehow opening up the heavens and speaking to you in a clear way, nobody can with certainty of faith know whether or not he has been, he has fully, he has fulfilled all the conditions which are necessary for achieving justification. Conditions that are necessary for achieving justification. What could be the conditions that are necessary for achieving justification? And if that's the case, then those who are in Rome can never know whether or not they have true shalom with God. 
for who is to tell them when their work is done? How do you say to the person who is in Rome, you finally have achieved all of the things that are necessary for your justification? This means that there is no peace in Rome. There can be no peace in Rome. Uh, Rome is not offering a gospel of peace. It's offering a, a gospel that says you can work for it and we'll tell you when you've gotten there. Or God himself will open up the heavens and give you some kind of special revelation to show you that you've gotten there. There's no peace in Rome. We often say Rome believes in works uh, salvation. They're going to deny this. Of course they're going to deny this. But they're... Uh, but their authentic uh, official documents contradict their words. Now, Pastor Isaiah and I, and I have talked about this. Uh, for the most part, not all Roman Catholics believe the same thing. You must go to their catechism in order to find out what the official statements of Rome is. You must go to their councils in order to find out what their official statements are. But not all Roman Catholics are walking around knowing, number one, these things, and believing, number two, these things. If Christ's work is dependent upon actions of humankind and God has simply made a way of salvation available that is dependent upon works, baptism, penance, uh, or uh, penances, then it is work salvation. If it's dependent upon uh, all of these seven different ways that you must uh, cross a, a thresh, thresh, threshing floor, threshold, in order to once again uh, advance, then it is work salvation. This is what most Protestants protest when it comes to Rome, because this contradicts the word of God, which is our only and final rule of faith and obedience. The Council of Trent goes on to say, faith is the beginning of human salvation, the fountain, foundation and root of all justification. We are therefore said to be justified gratuitously because none of those things that precede justification, whether faith or works, merit grace of justification. Now, notice the wording. <clears throat> At face value, that sounds pretty biblical. Did you hear that? Let me read it to you again. It, when you read it at first, it, goes, it doesn't seem like there's a lot wrong with that. Faith is the beginning of human salvation. Amen. The foundation and root of all justification. Faith. Yeah, we believe that. We are therefore said to be justified gratuitously because none of those things that precede justification, whether faith or works, merit the grace of salvation. Well, then what's wrong with that? According to Trent, we can say that justification, or that we are justified by grace gratuitously. You probably have heard that word. And you're like, well, okay, well, what does that mean? Solely because of those things that precede justification. The process of justification is based on God's grace, but not completely on God's grace. And it cannot be said that God's grace alone is sufficient without human works to bring about full and complete justification. According to Rome, the council says, those who through sin have fortified the received grace of justification can again be justified when again be justified when 
if you've been justified, you're justified. You don't get justified again. When moved by God, they exert themselves to obtain through the sacraments a penance, the recovery by the merits of Christ of grace lost. You can be justified again. As long as you obtain, go back to the sacraments, recover them by the merits of Christ because you lost grace. We're not just talking about losing salvation. We're talking about someone who was justified, losing their justification, and then because they uh, worked through penances, through uh, sacraments, they gained it back by the merits of Christ. No, it's one or the other. You either are receiving the merits of Christ or you are performing sacraments in order to receive the merits of Christ. Do you see how it is a works salvation? Let me explain why this doesn't make sense. Justification, according to Rome, involves, and Pastor Isaiah talked about this uh, recently, infusion of grace. There's nothing wrong with the word infusion of grace. We are all infused with grace. But we don't mean what Rome means when it comes to infusion of grace. God gives you grace. He infuses grace into your soul. To do what? To believe. To repent. Rome, on the other hand, believes that God infuses grace into your soul so you can do what? Perform the sacraments. And in performance of the sacraments, you can then be justified. We both believe in infusion. Uh, Some Protestants may say, infusion versus imputation. Well, we believe in both. You need God to infuse grace into your soul. And as He does and you repent, you are receiving the righteousness of Christ, imputation. Christ's righteousness is being accredited to you. But Rome believes a completely different thing. Because of this, the person is enabled through the power of the Spirit to do good works. None of these good works are considered to be meritorious in the sight of God, though. I think one last quote from the Council of Trent. Hence, to those who work well until the end and trust in God. Period. Do you hear that? To those who work well until the end and trust in God. We believe in the trusting of God. Working well, eternal life is to be offered. Both as a grace mercifully promised to the sons of God through Christ Jesus and to the reward promised by God himself to be faithfully given to their good works and merits. Brothers and sisters, are you going to be rewarded for good works when you get to heaven? Yes. Are your good works going to get you to heaven? No. It's an important distinction. We must believe, they say, we must believe that nothing further is wanting to those justified to prevent them from being considered to have by those very works which have been done in God, fully satisfied the divine law according to the state of this life. And to have truly, listen to this, merited eternal life. To be obtained in its due time, provided they depart in grace. Hear that last part? Provided you die living in obedience. Provided that you die in grace. Have there been saints who have died even in sin? Absolutely. Absolutely. Unfortunately. But absolutely. 
It must be emphasized that eternal life is merited by good works, they say, performed in the person, by the person, in the state of grace. This is what Rome teaches. Trent said that a person is justified by baptism. That a person is uh, justified when he does these good works. And that these good works fully satisfy the divine law of God according to the state of his life, of this life. And more, that the person, uh, that the person that has done them has truly merited eternal life, provided they die being a good person or die in the state of grace. The point of this is who is the justifier? Is it God or is man somehow able to justify himself? According to Rome, who denies that they teach work salvation, they do seem, though, to have a council and an official document that they deem to be infallible that not only suggests but outright teaches works salvation. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you're hearing all these things just by show of hand. How many of you are related to someone who's a Roman Catholic? I pray that you listened well this evening then. Because you have another point besides sola scriptura from last week of evangelism. Justification is the issue. Don't let your conversations with them be about you not wanting to go to a confession or you not liking the fact that there's a, a wafer that the guy holds in his hand and you wish he would just, I don't know, however you eat it. It's not about those things. It's about these pivotal docu- or, uh, doctrines. God's holy word. How are we saved? The reformers were not saying that Rome denied grace when it came to salvation. The issue is not necessarily the necessity of grace. Rome believes in grace. Don't let anybody tell you that Rome doesn't believe in grace. Of course they do. The issue is sufficiency of grace. Is grace sufficient? Is it enough? Is what God did enough? Is the grace of God sufficient to accomplish the salvation of God's people? Or does something else need to be added to grace in order to complete salvation? The reformers summarize this this issue under the term sola gratia, by grace alone. Not grace mixed with merit, not grace mixed with works or law, works of charity, works of anything else, but grace alone. Can grace by itself accomplish the salvation of the human soul? The word of God, not the reformers, not the Puritans, not the early church fathers, not the Cappadocian fathers. The word of God says yes. Yes, it is enough. The word of God says yes. The apostles said yes. The church fathers said yes. The Cappadocian fathers said yes. The Puritans said yes. The reformers said yes. We say yes. It is enough. But Rome continues to say no. They say, yes, grace. But Rome will say that salvation, you know, Rome will even say salvation, it can't take place without grace. Of course you need grace. But our definitions and what they achieve are completely different. Their new catechism of 1996, thanks to Pastor Isaiah, our justification comes from the grace of God. 
gracious favor and free undeserved help that God gives us to respond to his call to become children of God, adoptive sons, partakers of the divine nature and of eternal life. Brothers and sisters, if that was their final statement and what they mean from what we heard, we would praise God for the church of Rome. We might even go have tacos with those little church down the street every time we go shop next to them, right? They've said it. It is two completely different things to say that salvation cannot be or cannot take place without grace than to say salvation can only take place by grace and grace alone. I say, well, it can't take place without it. But we are saying it only takes place by it. It's almost like sola scriptura. The scriptures are necessary, they say, but not sufficient. We need tradition. We need what the Pope says. In the same way, Rome confesses the necessity of grace, but refuses to acknowledge the sufficiency of grace alone. This is how we are justified. Uh, let, let me, in closing, the Protestant view, and I'm going to give you four quick points, which is the biblical view of justification differs from Rome on these four aspects. We differ on the meaning and the extent of the term justification. We differ on the meaning and the extent of the term justification. Number two, we differ on the meaning of the term impute or imputation. If you want, you can just write down the, the final words that I'm saying because we differ is all going to be the same until the final, finally, final end of the statement. We differ on the means by which justification takes place. Is it faith alone or faith plus works? You might just write faith alone or faith plus works. And then finally, we differ on the grounds or basis upon which sinful people can be justified. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism gives a helpful definition of justification. It is this. Justification is an act of God's free grace, wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepts, accepts us as righteous in his sight. Only for the righteousness in Christ imputed to us, received by faith alone. Justification is an act of God as our judge, where as judge he declares the believer to be righteous. Justification is an act undertaken by God. And it is not based on anything done by us as believers. It is an act of sovereign grace because it is something that God does, not something that we do. This is a God-centered viewpoint, isn't it? Not a man-centered viewpoint. Justification is solely based upon the completed merits of another, namely Christ. How can God, as a just and holy judge, declare a sinner to be sinless? How can he rightly release the guilty prisoner? It is because the perfect substitute has intervened. The basis of justification is the perfect work of Christ and Christ alone. Justification involves the imputation of the righteousness of Christ, both his perfect life as well as his perfect, all-sufficient, atoning, sacrificial death to all believers. On this basis and on this basis alone, the believer is declared righteous by God, legally declared righteous by God. God is the one who imputes this righteousness to the believer. Now, the word imputation is one of those words that we should uh, 
that really should cause our hearts to swell with praise. Because it is another act of the grace of God beyond your and my understanding. He, he imputes, he, he credits to your account righteousness. Recently, some of us received uh, debit cards, didn't we? From our government. Some of us uh, had direct deposit. And when you woke up in the morning, all of a sudden you had either 600 or $1,200 more than you had the day before. How are they able to just shoot that money into my account? You can eventually figure it all out. Here's a greater mystery. How does God take all of my sin, all of my filth, all of my shame, and my unrighteousness and just wipe it clean. Praise be to God for that. He's not merely handing us something which Rome teaches could drop or fall if we don't handle it properly. He's not infusing something to us making us change uh, in us uh, just as a person itself. He's infusing to us grace. He's making us a different person. Justification is by grace. Through faith. Faith is the instrument, the means of appropriating justification. This faith is true. It's a saving faith. It's the kind of faith that results in a person believing and resting, having peace with God through Christ. Because of Christ, you have peace with God. You don't have to wake up in the morning and say, I wonder if I'll do enough today to be further justified. I wonder if today I'll do enough to be accepted by God. I wonder if I die today, I'll have to go to purgatory and work it off or pray to a dead saint and ask that he would give me some of his good works because he's earned so much that he has enough to spare. That's what Rome believes. No. The Son of God incarnate lived, died, and rose for our justification. And he has accredited all of the righteousness of Christ, all the righteousness uh, in his uh, incarnation to our empty accounts. There's nothing wanting, nothing needing in the finished work of Christ. It is complete. Our confession says faith thus receiving and resting upon Christ and his righteousness is alone the instrument of justification. Alone. We're not afraid to use the word alone. Rome is is allergic to the word alone. True saving faith is the only instrument of justification. Listen carefully as we conclude. Faith is the instrument of justification, not the basis of it. Meaning that we are justified because we believe in the works of Christ. We perform good works because those who are saved by Christ show a living faith. We are saved by faith alone, but as has been said over and over again, faith, that not, but not a faith that is alone. 
The Bible says in Romans 5.1, we have been justified by faith. Titus 3.5, and we'll close with these scriptures. He saved us not on the basis of deeds which have been done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of, washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We are told that we are justified by his grace in Romans 3, 2. But beside from being justified by free grace, we are also told that we are justified by the blood of Christ. Romans 5, 9. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. We have been saved by grace and are, justifi- and are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ. Romans 5, 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Christ. Brothers and sisters, justification by grace, justification by his blood, justification by faith. His grace is unmerited. We can't earn it. The blood of Christ has been shed on our behalf. It's free. It's free. It's offered to all who believe. And that faith justifies. And it's a gift from God. We ask one final question to Rome. Is God's grace sufficient to bring about justification or must human merit be be added to the grace of God? We probably should ask in, in response, what can man add to this great gift of grace? The answer is nothing. We can add nothing. Let's pray.